1: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash/recommend today. The action tonight is on the hardwood. It is basketball night uh, around Virginia and uh, the ACC taking on the SEC and some early season challenge games. You've got UVA taking on Texas A&M in Charlottesville. That one's seven fifteen on ESPN two. Uh, A&M's humming. Uh, everybody knows their coach, obviously, uh, Bus Williams and. Uh, his history at Virginia Tech, but he's got that team rolling at Texas A&M, and uh, that will be a formidable test for a UVA team that did not uh, did not acquit itself well in its Thanksgiving tournament. A, a blowout loss to Wisconsin, and then they edge a West Virginia team that is reeling right now. To to put it charitably, Bob Huggins left this off season. They're down to just a few players on that team. Uh, of notes. So it was, it was a rough uh, rough go of it for Virginia. We'll see if they could bounce back. It'd certainly be a big one to get against Texas A&M. Uh, and then things things don't stop for them. They got they got Syracuse coming in Saturday, nooner at JPJ. Uh, that'll be uh, their first ACC game of the year. Uh, conference play starts early when you get 18 games. Gotta sprinkle some of them around December. But this is, this is a big early week for them, big early litmus test week for the Who's, who... I, you know, I, I wouldn't pick them to win tonight against A and M, but if they could have a strong showing, could show development, show growth coming off of that tournament, I think that would be a very positive thing for them. Uh, certainly, as their ACC schedule gets going, and, and they welcome Syracuse to town this weekend, uh, Syracuse without Beheim, without the uh, without the zone, then that'll be its own interesting. Uh, get our get our first look at that. Uh, they've been uh, Syracuse has been uh, not not exclusively playing. Uh, that signature zone this year. So it'll be fascinating to see what they bring. If you're watching UVA, uh keep an eye on Ryan Dunn. He's been a lot of fun to watch this year. Uh 6'8, they list him as uh, a guard. Uh he kind of plays a you know he's got a little small forward, big wing uh to him. He's second on the team, 10.3 points per game, seven rebounds per game. He's just a sophomore. Um but but two things here. One, he's playing Tony Bennett's system really well. Uh he's not just good on the offensive end. He he can Crack down, play some defense, too. And two, he's got that NBA size. We're already talking about him as being a potential first-round pick next year. So it's fun to see. We've kind of come full circle on that, this notion of, oh, you know, UVA, Tony Bennett can't get you to the NBA. Well, that that's, of course, just patently untrue now. Now you got guys who are coming in, making a difference as sophomores with the NBA size. A Ton of fun to watch Ryan Dunn. His second year, he's taken a big leap inside that system, and uh, we'll see how he fares in a pair of big games against AM and against Syracuse. Virginia Tech takes on Auburn uh, before they start ACC play against Louisville on Sunday at home. And Richmond, you are, will head to Wichita State, uh, take on the Shockers. Uh, they're back home against William and Mary uh, later this week as well, uh, VCU's got Norfolk State on Friday, as we mentioned. Norfolk State winners last night over William and Mary, ninety-six to sixty-two. That's one of the things uh, you'll hear from Coach Odom at eleven fifteen today, and uh, that's one of the things we'll talk about. Is the, you know he has lined up a schedule that on paper doesn't look menacing. But a lot of conference champs, a lot of teams that are going to be in the discussion come March. Uh, McNeese State making some noise already. Uh, Norfolk State's always a contender to win the MEAC, get that tournament spot. This is not a schedule of pushovers. These are teams that are going to push the Rams, uh, that are going to give them a game. While we're running around the local scene, shout out to Randolph-Macon football. Still rolling an undefeated 12-0. We'll take on Johns Hopkins Saturday up in Baltimore. Third round of the NCAA Division three playoffs, congrats to the Jackets as they keep rolling up there. And Ashland and other great football news yesterday, uh, UVA running back Paris Jones, you remember uh, that, that vicious injury he took uh, in the Thursday night game up in Louisville, uh, was released from the hospital, has returned home uh, to his family, which we love to see. His rehab will be ongoing, of course, but a huge step uh, for Paris Jones and for the UVA program, uh, certainly something to celebrate out there in Charlottesville as he returns home. National news yesterday, Mark Cuban's going to sell the Mavericks uh, $3.5 billion. He's selling it to the Adelson family, which owns the Sands Casinos in in Las Vegas, the Venetian, uh, the Palazzo, and all those. Uh, But he's selling the team, but he will still run the team. Uh, An interesting agreement and arrangement there uh, with Mark Cuban selling the Mavericks, but will continue to run the team. And i got to think there's value there for Cuban. To continue to be for value for the buyers to continue to have Cuban as the face of the franchise. So all that up today. Uh, Ryan Odom at eleven fifteen. VCU basketball coach Mike Sveditz joins us to break down the week's slate uh, of betting at eleven o'clock. And uh, my conversation with Craig Hoffman uh, about the Washington Commanders coming up at the bottom of the hour. We're off and running. You're listening to nine ten the fan at 1051 FM. All right, back, uh, 910 The Fan, one oh five one FM. Uh, uh, we're making this a weekly tradition here, a semi-weekly tradition. Zach Joaquin, Richmond Times Dispatch, Richmond.com. You know him. You love him. Uh, we just wrapped up uh, Ryan Odom's weekly press conference. You heard it here on The Fan, of course. And uh, But that's not what I want to ask you about. <laughs> you, you and AWOD were down in Orlando. You tore the place up. AWOD's given me his stories. Uh, you guys uh, you went to Disney Springs. On Saturday, yes. T Rex Cafe,
0: which was awesome. I was a big dinosaur fan growing up. And is so it is was this very like the
1: Rainforest Cafe? Very
0: similar, but with dinosaurs. But with dinosaurs, exactly. <laughs> uh, animatronic dinosaurs, and they move and everything. And there's a bunch of lights flashing everywhere. We didn't eat there, but we just went in and walked around for a while and checked out the gift shop and all the dinosaur stuff. And it was very cool.
1: That's the best way to do it. I've seen the prices out. There.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went. We got pizza. On the way walking through <laughs> Disney Springs, it went a little cheaper on the food. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm sure that costs a lot of money, too. That is, uh,
0: like okay.
1: a $9 slice of pizza. Uh, it's a very good slice of pizza, though. That's a lot of money. You know, I, I go is. to Christian's for pizza. It's, As do uh, it's, I. It's not $9. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> All right, Zach Joaquin, you're down in Orlando with the Rams. Uh, you want to give us kind of a big picture. What, what, did, you, what did you learn over those three games? Uh, that This team
0: really misses Sean Berestow, um, yeah. and that they're waiting for him to get back. Obviously, disappointing with the first two games, and, and Ryan if was he candid plays, about that. They oh, beat Boise. Absolutely, yeah. I think they beat Iowa State too. Because if
1: he plays, yeah, like Iowa State was also, you know, I'm, I'm here for you, and I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> Iowa State was like good. They lifted yes. during the round. I felt like. VCU stagnated in that costume at the end against Boise Those in a lot of ways. Those guards, I
0: think Lipsing and Gilbert uh, were magnificent down the stretch, they were had so 22 good. apiece. They hit tough bucket after yeah. tough bucket. And in the first half of that game, I thought VCU did a great job of forcing them into low percentage twos. Yes. And Iowa State was settling a little bit. VCU was running them off the three point line. Um, Iowa State was trying to drive, and they weren't getting much penetration. Firm did a great job. His rim-protecting presence has been big all year. And in that second half, I think the Iowa State coach said to his guys, put your head down and get to the cup because they lived at the free-throw line. You're
1: Iowa State. You're good. You're a Big 12 team. Go, exactly. go get it. Yeah.
0: They yeah. hit tough floaters, tough short jumpers, got to the free-throw line a ton, uh, and that's what killed BCU down the stretch. Tons of positives to take away. I think oh, you're no playing question. with a short rotation with no Sean Berstow and no Jason Nelson for that last game. We talked about it in the press conference right now, Michael Bell's versatility. Oh my gosh, that kid has played such a huge role as a freshman already. He was bringing the ball up against Iowa State, and there was one sequence that really stuck out to me um, when VC was trying to break Iowa State's press, and Ryan yelled at, at Michael from the bench to keep the ball and bring it up, but I think that took a lot oh, wow. of pressure off of Max Schulge and Zeb Jackson to have to break that press, um, and Michael Bell guarded a bunch of different positions throughout the tournament. Um uh, Ryan was talking about how he was guarding Ace Baldwin down the stretch uh, of the Penn State game. Really well, too. Really, really well. And Ace had 27. He had a fantastic game, but was shut down a little bit there in the waning moments when VCU pulled away. Yeah. And so Michael Bell's versatility has been such a huge boon for Ryan with a bit of a short rotation to start the year. That was one of my biggest takeaways. in man, Fats Billups. <laughs> what a coming out party for that kid. Uh, how cool was it for him to have that coming out party against Penn State? And obviously an emotionally charged matchup. Um, once he started seeing a couple fall in, you could see the confidence start to grow, and I think that that could really be a huge jumping off point for him for the rest of the season.
1: I to. those you Bell's probably your three game MVP, mm-hmm. but but for Fats to get the win, get the win against Penn State, how was that atmosphere inside? It, it was ten thirty. I know I know everybody wasn't like at peak emotion. You know, I energy. struggled with that a little bit. Like, we all struggle ten thirty. <laughs> like I make fun of you when you struggle like with with the nooner, um, and and lots of people struggle with the nooner. Yes. But we all we all struggle with the ten thirty, so it's okay. You're in good company there. Ten
0: thirty on a Sunday, especially after spending <laughs> most of Saturday at Disney Springs yeah. and trying to paint the town a little C-Rex bit. T R X Cafe. Yeah. We, you should have seen Adam and I near the end of the Boise State game, thinking <laughs> about that ten thirty tip on Sunday, oh, and getting frustrated yeah. with the result because that meant that we because that was going to a late game too. It was an eight p.m. p.m. game. Yeah, late, late. Mm-hmm. At, boom, ten thirty. I didn't leave the arena until one something I think on on Friday night Saturday morning yeah. after the Boise State game. Yeah. Um, which was obviously disappointing down the stretch for both of those Wait. to get away from VC when they led by double early on but
1: does Disney have late night dining is there a late night scene? oh I went
0: I went to a waffle house yeah, let's in, go. <laughs> at, at about 2 a.m let's go uh, Florida's far from my hotel yes and and made some friends with a, a party of people who came in at about two thirty in the morning to waffle house I so love it. Was a fun
1: experience a oh, waffle house that, that's <laughs> iconic <laughs> That's awesome, but but how was the atmosphere for the 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 Penn State? Could you tell, like, oh man, okay, yeah. uh,
0: Penn State didn't have a whole lot of fans there. It was the arena was mostly ruled by VCU fans, as as you might imagine. Looked like they did. They very much did. Um, Iowa State and Butler, I think, of all of the teams, had the most fans there. Sure, but VCU had a great contingency, and there was one moment late in the first half that I used in the story that stood out to everyone, where VCU had forty six points close to halftime, and uh, it was a pretty quiet arena during one of the timeouts, and a fan stood up and yelled, where's the happy valley havoc roads? Uh, (laughs) Which I think everyone loved and got a kick out of, Uh, and so I used that in the story, And so there was obviously, uh, the players and the coaches, you could tell, were working hard to keep the emotions in check and to try and treat it like the next game, and that's all the rhetoric that you got from the players, as you would expect, they had to be kind of circumspect about that in discussing it, but for the fans, that matchup meant a great deal, and you could absolutely feel it in the arena. (laughs) <laughs> when they
1: put out the Happy Valley Havoc tweet, like they—they they had to have known they were tweaking it. Oh were, yes. There's no like. It was a shameless troll. You don't accidentally walk into that. No. That would. I mean, that triggered everybody. I w- a tip of the cap. I think. I to was the curious. State, first of I thought they had a copyright on it here. I wondered about that did, too. That it's really didn't they trademark, trademark it? At one they point? did. Yeah. yeah. I said that because that story. was the deal. Shaka wasn't allowed to take it with him mm-hmm. to Texas. Because it was trademarked by VCU.
0: I wondered if there was going to be a cease and desist maybe for, <laughs> at that point out there. There was about, about the 40 minutes having. of cease and desist.
1: <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well said. Yes, there was. <laughs> <laughs> and VCU obviously with the the, uh, the VCU basketball tweet after the game and Havoc still lives here. You saw Christian. Ferman. A lot of the players played on. Yeah, saw, uh, tweet at least about the players. The address of the Siegel Center and gave, gave the emphasis,
1: point of emphasis there, uh-huh,
0: where Havoc still lives. So you could tell uh, again in the in the press conferences and publicly and everything, okay. they had to be respectful about the rhetoric, uh, and they very much were. But. So those kids that Rhodes recruited who are still here, that yeah. was not just another game. It meant something to him for sure.
1: How was Mike Rhodes after the game?
0: He was wonderful. It was classy stuff from it, both coaches. He's a good dude. He is, he is. Um talked to the media afterward, um, said I love BCU, I'll always love BCU. I didn't want him to win today obviously, but I'm gonna be rooting for him for the rest of the season. Um tons of crossover there between the coaching staffs mm. and the players and you could feel after the game and Ryan said a lot of the same things about those guys will always be Rams and they want a championship here and I think that Ryan said that that's what I told them in the handshake line after that we appreciate you guys nice. and that you'll always be part of this program and so it was awesome to hear that from both coaches classy stuff mutually
1: nice. Hey, hey. We were texting. I said, if you had to win one non-conference game, it was that one. And you, you said Memphis is a better team. You're going to be at home against Penny Hardaway. Mm-hmm. I get that. Did you change your mind after the win at all? Uh, I want to look at it from a practical perspective and like, say that you're Memphis thinking is more with of a resume head. opportunity. Yeah, yeah, you're thinking with your head, and I respect that. I was thinking like right here in the gut. Like, that was my gut talking.
0: And there. you were probably right. Cause I think I said that before the Penn State game, right? But after feeling the emotion of that matchup, yeah, uh, you might have been right. I think that one certainly meant more to the fan base, although Penny Hardaway and Phil coming here into the stew this way is going to be on fire.
1: If they beat Penny Hardaway, I, I might change my mind back to you after that. Right, like, we, I reserve the right to swing back to your side on this as well. I, my thought on it, though, was, like, it's a program statement, right? Like, mm-hmm. coaches come, coaches go, yo, havoc lives here. We're still going to be here that's the statement you make by beating Mike Rhodes right out of the game. That's when, it's, when he takes some really good players with him. Some really good players, and it's wild, too, because they still have to satisfy the
0: home-and-home home clause, right? So VCU is going to be seeing a lot of Penn State mm-hmm. in these next couple of years, so more opportunities to hammer that statement home.
1: Do we think Ace will be here next year?
0: That's a good question. I think I so, think he, yeah. he can, right? He's got... And as a... Yes, and as a multi-time transfer, too, if he were to transfer again, then That's he'd have right. to sit, right? He'd, and he'd, he'd be in the
1: cell territory
0: exactly. at that point. Yeah, And asking for a waiver these mm-hmm. days seems like it's becoming more and more of an arduous process, and so I'd imagine that, yes, Ace will be, and Nick will be coming here <laughs> into the Seagull Center. And by the way, I always, we talked to Nick live last year after the Richmond game. Great kids. Yeah. And I know that everyone in this program, coaching staff, players, fan base... Appreciate what they did for VCU, and you heard a lot of that rhetoric after the game. um Obviously, the VCU fan base wanted to win, and there is an element of vindictiveness there, but but not personally toward the players. No, I'm just
1: professionally. Vindictive. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just, it's just business. And Ace
0: was wonderful too when uh, uh Penn State's leading scorer, uh Keon Clary, went down early in that game and ended up coming back in, but had a brace on his arm and didn't play a whole lot. And Ace put yeah. the team on his back and. It was weird seeing him hit some of those big shots that you have seen him hit in a BCU mm-hmm. before, and it felt strange. Still looks familiar, though.
1: Yes, we, yes, we it know, does. We know that look. Um, Christian Furman is a guy who's growing on me, Absolutely. who is not the stat sheet hero, but dang, if he doesn't just play hard minutes, a lot of them, every night, in the paint. And incredibly efficient
0: around the rim, yeah. right? I think he, he, th- that kind of came back down to earth in the Penn State game a little bit, and he didn't have a big day offensively. I don't, I'm not sure if he scored in that game. Um, Wahab, they're big, I think gave him some trouble, um, was a really physical post presence. But I'm not sure what his true shooting percentage is for the season, but I know it's really good. Yeah. And especially after I think he was 5 of 5 from the floor and had 12 points against Boise State. Um, it's been awesome to see his game grow offensively. And you know the rim-protecting presence was there because he has the length um, to disrupt shots around the rim and that's been phenomenal this year. And yeah, I, I, BCU kind of still waiting for Roosevelt Wheeler to, to come out of his shell a little bit, and he had some good minutes, and I think there's some promising signs there yep. against Penn State, but Firm has been enormous to start the year.
1: Yeah, and Roy Roosevelt just hasn't gotten the, the minutes yet, which, yeah. which probably reflects how the coaching staff sees him in practice, does things with him.
0: And the ejection, obviously, part of that Didn't a few know. weeks ago was, the, was tough, because in that game, too, I think he was putting forth some good minutes, and the best no that no. you'd seen so far for him in the black and gold. So there's a ton of room for growth there, and I think he's going to play a more prominent role as the year goes on. No
1: doubt. Norfolk State, Friday night. Yes. It feels like... So, we talked about how maybe underwhelming the schedule looked on paper, no road game. And then everybody who comes in here, McNeese State is on fire. Norfolk State wins the MEAC a lot, like... This is actually a sneaky good schedule in a lot of ways. Oh, Seattle and Radford are going to compete at the top of their conference. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You knew Radford was going to give them a game, yeah. BCU
0: has carried on that tradition this year as they've done so well over the years of scheduling those teams that, that come in and you look at them on paper on the schedule initially in the beginning of the year and you go, well, who's that? How much does that add to your NCAA tournament resume? And then by the end of the year, you're going, wow, this was a pretty smart schedule. And I think it's starting to look like that and materialize like that again. I always think of St. Peter's, right, years and years ago yeah. when they came into the Siegel Center and everyone was going, who the heck is this? And by the end of the year, they were the to the town yep. and making an NCAA tournament run. So, VCU has done a phenomenal job of scheduling those opponents, and I think you've seen a lot more of that this year. And I don't think that no true road games has been a serious hindrance to this team. I think with a a new group that is still gelling and getting used to one another, it's been good to have Agreed. some friendly confines here Agreed. a little bit and going down to Orlando was a great experience in that regard because you got a little bit of that NCAA tournament, A-10 tournament, yeah. the le- level of play and back-to-back games in a few days, which as Ryan pointed out, these kids are used to from an AAU perspective these days but with so many home games, incredibly beneficial to have the three and four days and be on the road a little bit, but to give this team an opportunity to get used to one another, I think the friendly confines of the Siegel Center has has been great.
1: No doubt. Zach Joaquin, Richmond Times-Disc batch richmond.com enjoy reading your coverage thanks for dropping by uh i'm sure awad will be bugging you uh, later this week and get, get you on the show but uh i'm uh, glad you guys had fun in orlando welcome back Michael. always an honor to be on man thank you all right back with more after this it's 910 the fan at 105.1 fm hey we are back thank you for joining us mp on the mic 910 the fan 105.1 fm worldwide on the free odyssey app i don't know if you saw this the other day tom brady Uh, He is a quarterback of some renown. Says here he played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll assume he made some other stops along the way on his journey. Uh, But this guy, Tom Brady, uh, pretty good quarterback, uh, was on Stephen A. Smith's podcast. uh, And he was lamenting the state of today's NFL. Let's take a listen.
2: I I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. Why not? Why not? I think the coaching isn't as, as good as it was i don't think the development of young players is as good as it was the rules have allowed a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game mm-hmm. so i just think the product in my opinion is less than what it's been i think i look at a lot of players like ray lewis and rodney harrison and ronnie Lott and guys that impacted the game in, in a certain way and every hit they would have made would have been a penalty mm. your coach is complaining about their own player being tackled and not necessarily why don't they talk to their player about how to protect themselves? We used to work on the fundamentals of those things all the time. Now they're trying to be regulated all the time. Offensive players need to protect themselves. It's not up to the defensive player to protect the offensive player. That's the reality. Wow. I didn't throw it to the middle when I played Ray Lewis because you knock him out of the game, and I couldn't afford to lose a good player.
1: As a Tom Brady on Stephen A. Smith's podcast, weighing in on the current state of the NFL. I, I got some thoughts on this. Um, but first, I, w- I want to give some time to the other side. Uh, Alex Smith, quarterback, Washington Commanders, and uh, of course, before that, the Kansas City Chiefs, San Francisco 49ers, uh, so on and so forth on his journey, uh, part of ESPN's pregame show now. Here are his thoughts on football and where it's at now and whether the product's as good as it used to be.
2: Listen, first off, let me just press this. I love Tom, the go, but <laughs> you don't need to say that. But yeah, let me uh, say, i just kidding. First off, he hasn't been retired that long. He was just playing, like, he just won a Super Bowl in the current game. Like, is he discounting that one? Um, and then, my, my biggest complaint with this, and, and no offense to you guys, well, all three of you guys, uh, he played in the most uncompetitive division, I think, in NFL history. I mean, <laughs> you come out of training camp, the biggest up division, you God, got a ticket God. to the playoffs right away. Like, talk about mediocre. Like, I, I completely disagree <laughs> with this. I, I know, I know he's he's referencing the rule change.
1: All right, that's Alex Smith weighing in uh, on the ESPN uh, NFL countdown about Tom Brady's comments that the NFL today uh, is full of mediocrity and has been mediocre. We'll we'll address the rules changes because I do think the rules changes are uh, a big part of this, a, a major part of the perception of, right, like, you can't tackle guys anymore. And we've seen some dud flags this season even just with the Washington Commanders, even just following the Commanders on a week-to-week basis. Uh, K.J. Henry losing a sack in New England uh, over roughing the passer. They're clearly calling it differently than they used to. We've also seen some monster hits this year. We've seen Logan Thomas laid out over the middle. We've seen Brian Robinson upended. We've seen Antonio Gibson hit. The physicality element of the game is definitely not gone by any stretch, but it is changed for sure. But I think with Tom Brady, this is more of a perception thing. When he says football's mediocre now, what Tom Brady does now that he didn't do for 20 years is watch football on Sundays and watch football on Thursday nights and watch football from Germany on Sunday mornings and watch football on Monday nights and watch the Monday night doubleheader and watch the Saturday tripleheader late in the season and watch the Black Friday Amazon special. The point being, there's always been good football, and there's always been bad football and that's part of why the red zone channel is so great right like the, the one o'clock window on sunday are theoretically speaking the worst games right they've been they've not been selected for any of the, the the solo slots uh they've not been selected to stand on their own they may have been flexed there late in the season there's seven or eight games that, that don't stand on their own that they don't have any sort of appeal right you're you're you know, just Colts against, uh, you know, the, the, I was, I was going to say the Jaguars, but the Jaguars are good now. For a long time, the Jaguars were the easy team to beat up on. But, you know, now, it, you know, the Browns are that now that they've lost their quarterback. Um, you know, the games that don't mean a lot. So the, the Sunday 1 o'clock window, if you watched any of those games individually, as we unfortunately watched the Commanders game a lot individually, man, isn't that great? Not a great product. Um, but the beauty, of course, the red zone channel and allowing the stations to put two games on at a time, when you're flipping between them, they become exciting in bulk. Uh, you know, you, you have the witching hour, you have the the excitement of games coming in for close finishes, and here's a field goal, and here's a fumble, and here's a touchdown pass, uh, which creates excitement that, that doesn't really exist for a lot of these games, right? Here's Baker Mayfield down seven driving. Like, that didn't do anything for you just on its own right? Where we were all complaining, you know, Viking, Vikings, Bears, whatever. And I, I thought that was a decent game. If you put that in the one o'clock window, that, that's, a, that's an outstanding addition to NFL Red Zone, right? There were fumbles, there were touchdown catches at the end, there were big plays. It gets better in bulk. Tom Brady, for 20 years, traveled the country playing the biggest game of the week, every week, wherever he went. Tom Brady never got anybody's half shot. Tom Brady was always at 425, always on Monday Night Football, always on Sunday Night Football. He saw the best of the product he saw the best announcers he saw the best crews he saw the best teams he saw those teams giving them their best effort they won the division every year as Alex Smith referenced so they played a first place schedule every year so I don't think the problem here is the league has has changed in its quality I think Tom Brady's just getting exposed to more of it Tom Brady's learning what life's like on the Tom Brady's watching Patriots games like man you know this this stinks now like dude we've been living this for a while we've been there man uh, that This is what the rest of the league looks like. You can't just, you know, Chiefs fans, right? You, you get a great game every week against a great opponent, great announcer, great broadcast. The rest of the league doesn't get that. Uh, and I think Tom Brady's seeing that. Now, I do think there's some truth to what he's saying about the rule changes. I would also argue nobody was protected in the day more than Tom Brady, right? His argument of 10 years ago, man, guys got to hit, and, you know, hits were real and hits counted. Like, not against you, not ever. It would be like Michael Jordan complaining that they don't call fouls anymore in today's game, right? Well, sure, maybe you got a point, but nobody ever called a foul against you, right? Like it, Somebody else needs to make that point, not Tom Brady. There are plenty of people who can make that point. Defensive players obviously are on TV all the time talking about it, how the game has changed, how the rules have changed in terms of what they can hit. Tom Brady got to skate more than anybody on this planet. The the notion of Tom Brady somehow being the poster child for people are soft now. When Tom Brady was protected for 20 years in a time when mobile quarterbacks were not protected, I will rewind you to 2012. RG3 was not protected. Colin Kaepernick was not protected. They, the rest were very clear. Hey, start running, they're gonna blow you up. Sorry, sorry, dude. Um, it's different now. A mobile quarterback now enjoys a lot more protection on the move. You got—I mean, Josh Allen takes that to the extreme with his flop fest. Uh, yeah, he's, he's as bad as a German soccer player in there. Um, but but on the whole, the refs have come around. Okay, we're going—we're going to extend some protections to the quarterback when they run. That was not the case in Tom Brady's day. Those dudes were getting lit up. Michael Vick was getting lit up when he talk, took off when he run because the NFL made clear they didn't want that. They wanted a passing league. Now they—they've adapted, of course, over time. But I you know, I I don't I don't get the the full merits here of Tom Brady's uh, uh comments. I it, it strikes me as a lot of uh protecting of his legacy, his reputation as well, right? Um it, it's it's a lot of you're right when Tiger was coming onto the scene, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, I, I think Jack Nicholas uh w- was the big one. He's oh well, you know, That major doesn't count because such and such, but it counted in my time. In my time, it it was harder. Guys are always going to protect their legacy. My man Jordan put out an entire documentary that was meant, by the way, people forget this because it was COVID. It stood on its own. That documentary, Last Dance, was meant to air between games of the NBA Finals. That was that man's counter-programming to LeBron potentially winning a title, right? Every year, LeBron, not this year, but in in normal years, LeBron gets close to a title. Everybody fires up the debate, who's the greatest of all time? Do put out a whole documentary. These guys are going to extend their legacy. I am curious if Brady takes that energy into the television booth, because we don't have a lot of announcers right now who are willing to be critical of the league, of the product of what they see. Now, they're never going to give Brady a dud game, so he won't get a lot of opportunities. Uh, but I'd I'll be, I'll be curious, and uh, good on Alex Smith for, uh, for sticking up for him, explaining how good he had life for a long time. And uh, now, he, now he can experience life on the other side with the rest of us. Uh, I, I enjoy the product. It's a good product. It's the best entertainment product. I've said this a million times. The NFL needs to quit watering down by putting more games on by themselves Thursday night, early Sunday. Uh, you, you ne- the bulk is part of the excitement. Of the NFL product, they need to lean into that. Put the games, a lot of games, Sunday at one, and I think your cumulative effect is people perceive the action to be a lot better than it is. As opposed to sticking somebody with a Thursday night football, we're in a vacuum. They, ah, okay, you know, maybe maybe that's not quite it. Then you've got the, yeah, I mean, you've got the flexing situation too. They they have not, they, you know, this year they didn't flex a lot of games, uh, which I think was a deliberate pushback against a lot of the critique, mine included that too much flexing and too much flexing into Monday nights, into into even Thursday nights potentially, would be really, really bad for fans and, and for the in-person product, which I still think drives a lot of the interest. But that's a topic for another time. Uh, right now, we're going to step aside, take a break, pay the bills. We'll be back with more after this. You'll listen to MP on the mic, 910 The Fan, now one oh five one FM. All right, MP on the mic, you're listening to the 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Pleased to welcome in uh, from our sister station, the Team 980 in Washington, D.C., the one and only Craig Hoffman. Also the Take Command podcast, let's not forget that as well. What is up, Craig? What's up, Michael? How are you, sir? You know, I have to figure out a way to talk about this football team for the next month and a half. And I'm running out of good ideas. Uh, I don't know if you have any good ideas. I don't know. Like, what is it? What would you tell somebody if they asked you, why should I tune in to watch this team for the next month?
3: Oh, I thought you were going to ask if you have to host a daily radio show.
0: I know I have to do that. It's in the contract. Day
3: by day. Um, (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm also figuring that out. Uh, I would say there's. So there's two main things. And it's actually, uh, thanks for mentioning Take Command, because uh, this is how we formatted the podcast this morning, uh, or yesterday morning, whenever it was. I don't know. What's the day anymore, Michael? Whenever Logan and I taped our most recent episode. Defensively, I want to know if these guys can play. And schematically, they were set up terribly, like beyond bad. They were coached poorly. It felt like there's some guys that were being coached to do two different things at different times, where it's like, in the install period, it's like oh, based off this formation, we want your eyes over here, and then they go watch tape after a game, and they'd be like, all right, so what we want you to do is intercept that route over there, and it's like, well, one is uh, northeast and the other is southwest. So you tell me which one you want me to actually do, because believe it or not, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, the offense is going to do beforehand. See, that's the whole thing about watching film is you know what the play is. I don't know when they line up and go set hut, and you just see guys being in that in between confused space. And what I imagine Rivera will do is make things much simpler. We want you to do this if it's pass, this if it's run. And you see after the snap which one it is, and you do your thing, and there's not a thousand rules of, well, if the receiver is here and that the back is here, and, and yada, yada, yada. So that ability to pay, play fast and free should tell us a lot more about many of these players as we evaluate whether or not they'll be here next year. Is it going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Is it going to be good? Probably not. Is it going to be bad this weekend against Miami? Oh yeah,
0: yeah. This is a <laughs> bad. One.
3: Like, I actually have a lot of respect for Ron Rivera for not making Del Rio take yeah. one final bullet. It's like, hey man, uh, the you know we, we, you could have just let him beat the dead horse, but instead he uh, he. I don't really want to continue with that analogy. Uh, offensively. Sam Howell is the obvious thing like what do they do to to continue to try to progress him does he show progress and there's a couple of I would say key indicators there in terms of things that you know sack reduction certain the way he reads out certain things that I think are going to be interesting and and fun to watch over the next couple of weeks
1: you know I'm I'm intrigued by the defense too and uh, you know Essentially Ron's coaching a senior bowl here for, for NFL players who want to stick on with their team for for the next few weeks. Who in the secondary do you see as being guys who could benefit from this? So I'm thinking like Percy Butler, like could could he potentially show himself as being worth a starting spot next year? Like Saint Juice, like who who will you keep an eye on as guys who like, okay, simplified scheme, he can improve his standing with the next regime? Saint
3: Juice is probably number one. Because he play like he's gonna get opportunities because teams are throwing at him. It is very clear they circle twenty five and are like we can attack this guy. And I'm what I'm hoping for Benjamin's case is that once it's a little simpler in his mind of what he's got to do, maybe he can make a couple of other plays. Because his big thing is like he's in position a lot and does a lot of good things, and then his ball skills are like negative infinity, and he gets ball, plays made on him all the time. So can he? with a little more confidence and maybe a step here, a step there being instead of good position and great position and, and get an interception or two, or, you know, whatever it is that the production is. So I, I think he stands to benefit a lot. And we'll also see, by the way, he might be stuck in this. I mean, the problem for Benjamin is he's out of position. He is not a number one corner and he's being asked to be a number one corner because Emmanuel Forbes was not ready. And then when he finally seemed like he was ready, He got hurt, and Rivera said this elbow injury might keep him out for a while. So depending on where BSJ is, I think we can learn a lot or we could just continue to get the confirmation that he's not a number one corner and it's up to the next regime to decide what he is. Butler's an interesting one for sure. Um, I mean, Percy's generally played pretty well. He just keeps giving up one ginormous touchdown play per game, whether it's being the last tackle in the run game or you know, getting confused on a corner versus a post situation uh, where Dallas got him. Uh, so that's got to stop and maybe keeping a little bit simpler eyes and things like that can help him be better in that route. And then I would say like a guy like Cody Barton is super interesting because he's actually played pretty well as of late, like right before he got hurt and he was pretty good in the Dallas game. So like does this even simpler scheme allow him to play even faster and make some plays even closer to or behind the line of scrimmage? Um, and then the other thing too, that people should keep in mind is like some of this stuff is going to be contractual. You know, everyone's like, Oh, they blow out everybody. And it's like, you can't, really <laughs> <trade, laughs> your doesn't work like, like that. Like uh, trade, trade pain, see what you can get and take on all that dead money. No, thank you. Absolutely not. And so some of this stuff like Jamin Davis, like he's going to be here next year. It's, it's a matter of, I mean, he's not going to have his fifth year option picked up. So, but what is he after that? Like, those are the kinds of questions that you can start to answer now, but ultimately are going to wind up being next year questions.
1: I think I'm higher on Kendall Fuller than most people, but I also think you're smarter than me at this. W- would you attempt to bring him back?
3: Uh, Yeah, I would. I'm a big Kendall guy. I think he's he's a good, like, and, and I think that, like, it's important that the next regime empowers him to really be a leader. Um, I, I just get the sense that like there's there's very odd leadership structures on this team, and Kendall's a guy whose voice seems like it should be louder, and maybe maybe that's just not his style. Maybe he's more of a just like in the room, will answer questions, but is not going to be out front type of guy. But he's so smart. He plays with good technique. He's not the best corner in the league by any stretch. He's not going to make every play, but he's going to be in the right spot like 95% of the time, and I think that's valuable. The problem is, from like a resource allocation standpoint, how much is he going to cost? What if he prioritized? If you want to go somewhere that he feels can be better? I mean, I think he likes it here. He he obviously came back. He came back, yeah. Um, and it, you know, he's a he's a tech guy, so you know, he's th- this area is it feels like home for him. Um, but you've also got Forbes as a first rounder. You know, could you use another high pick on a corner? Could you spend some money at corner? Um, What do you do with St. Juice from a contract standpoint? I think he's got one year left, um, but he might be up this year. So like, there's a, there's a lot of questions. I think when it comes to how some of these position rooms are stacked, which is, you know, I think both of our biggest gripe with the roster outside of an inability to either sign or draft like extremely high level players is some of these position groups are stacked in such weird ways that it actually makes it very difficult to maneuver who you keep and who you don't. And, and again, some of this is going to be salary cap slash contractual decisions more than it is like supremely based off play.
1: Sure. And from a leadership perspective, I'm glad you brought that up because you've got, you know, you had Chase Young and Jonathan Allen as like your one and two. Chase was always embracing being the face of the defense, but I never felt like, played at a level that warranted the amount of tension he got and then you've got John Allen who kind of understands he is but maybe he plays at that level but maybe isn't as big on that role and then you had Jamin Davis who's a first round pick but turned out not very good like it, you know you're almost still paying the Dan Snyder like fixation with celebrity tax there and I, I agree that Kendall is a, a possible fix for that in, in the sense that he's a guy everybody can get behind.
3: For sure. And, you know, the one guy that we haven't mentioned um, is is Kim Curl. And he perhaps is the most important guy to evaluate the next five weeks because he has not had a he hasn't had the year that I think we anticipated. It's not like he's been bad, but he hasn't been impactful in the way that we thought he might be. And he is due a lot of money Uh, and someone is going to pay him a fair amount of money. The question is, do you want it to be you? And I think that's obviously a decision that the next GM, the next head coach, and the next D coordinator need to make. But at the end of the day, like, how Cam plays and and also what his role as a leader is, I think, impacts all of this as well. And so there is a ton of, I think, data to be acquired here. And I think the other part of this, too, is, like, we're going to – you know, part of the evaluation is already done. Like, there, there's certain things that Jack was asking him to do that perhaps different players could have. And I know people don't want to hear that. They just want to say that everything's stupid and Jack stunk and, you know, whatever. But, like, we already know that there's a lot of players in, that can't handle the volume of defense that he was putting in. And the question is, is, like, for the next D coordinator, if I am someone who likes to put in a high volume of stuff, does that impact who I keep and who I'm not versus – all right, hey, we actually think these guys are pretty good and it's pretty easy. to Like, what he was asking them to do was ridiculous, so we need to just put less in and we'll be fine. Um, and all of that, you know, can also be set by the leadership, not just on the, the, the playing side of it, but the coaching side. I don't get the sense there's any strong leadership on the defensive side of the ball no. um, with, with that staff. No. And you, know, you hear things, I hear things like, there's definitely some rooms that run amok. And I very much hope that the next staff that comes in is a much more demanding and disciplined staff, not because I'm a super fan of old-school demanding coaches. I'm not saying they need to scream at everybody all the time, but like there is, there is a level of seriousness and of performance that needs to be uh, attained in, in an NFL room to win. And you can get that out of people in multiple ways, but I do not think that is being upheld right now.
1: Would completely agree with that statement. Take Take Command is the podcast. Craig Hoffman joining us here on the Fan this morning to talk Washington Commanders. Uh, we I spent a lot of time on the defense, but on on the offensive side of the ball, you mentioned. Uh, I mean, Eric Bieniemy. It's a it's a big few weeks for him and some tough defenses here. Um, you know, I with you know, the Jets on tap, the Niners on tap. I think the Rams are obviously. You and I both think highly of their head coach and and the way he does. What would you like to see from Bieniemy over these next? Five that, that would lead you to believe, you know, he's still in the running for head coach or, or you know, he's at least moving in the right direction?
3: Yeah, um, good question. Before I forget, though, uh, a more concise version of the thing that we just said about the defensive staff uh, actually comes from McVeigh. It's one of my favorite mcveigh The standard is the standard. And it's like, this is how we play. If you don't meet this, you're gone. And that, Sean, goes about that in a very particular way. So that's part of the reason that we're such huge fans. Um, as for E.B., I think he's a guy that operates actually a lot, of, you know, tries to within that mantra. Um, I don't know that he succeeded in in some of the teaching of that this year, and some of that might also be due to some staffing stuff, downstaff more than it is on on him as an individual. I, hmm, I frankly don't think Eric is in the mix for a head coach here. Um, if I'm just going to be totally honest with you, and that is coming from hearing like what Time has been saying about some of the players perhaps not super psyched about how much power was given to Eric and certain things he's done with that power in terms of how he's changed schedules and, you know, practice types and styles. And when it doesn't work and it's different and it's harder and it's more burdensome, like, you know, you change the players off day. I don't think they like that very much. And so if you're going to do that, you better have a damn good reason and it better work or players are going to be ticked because they're humans. And if you just change their, their life schedules and how they've been operating. Like, yeah, if it works, it's worth it. And they're highly compensated and all the things that fans will say, but at the end of the day, they're also humans and they have things going outside of football that perhaps, you know, and some of them could be relative to football. You know, Monday used to always be the off day and Tuesday's the day that I work on my body. And that really helps me get ready for practice on Wednesday. And now you're changing that up. And so I just think that a fresh start is best for everybody here and that's going to include Eric. And also the fact that I think ultimately um, I would want an offensive head coach. I know that now I say this, and this is exactly what David Tepper just did in
1: Carolina, and wow, did that fail spectacularly. <laughs> never, gonna be David. Tying, never go full David Tepper.
3: Yeah, the idea of tying an offensive head coach to your young quarterback yes. is a good one. He did a bad job of executing a good idea. Um, especially when he had Steve Wilkes sitting right there, who had pulled them out of the doldrums of you know the previous mess that yep. that Tepper had gotten him in Carolina. Um, so I just think you're going to wind up, and if you have an offensive head coach, obviously he's not keeping piano. So I, I think that a fresh start is good. I do think these are still big games for Eric, though, because like, does he get another, you know, head co- or uh, is he a head coach consideration somewhere else? I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, I and then, you know, is he an OC with full play calling responsibility somewhere else? And, and I think the answer is probably yes. I would certainly, especially if I was a defensive head coach, be like I can trust this guy to come in and run an offense. He's highly organized, like he he did a good job with how. Um I as a head coach would talk to him about his run pass splits, but that's a personal thing. Um, with how I think an offense should be run
1: and what's what's maximal um but he's, at the he's end also of the day not, I just, I'll, I'll i'll break you by the other point there. he's he's not not working on that like i don't know that he's making progress but it does feel like he's yeah. working on it well and that's that would be the case if i'm him right if i'm
3: him i'm going look this was my first year doing this i've learned a lot i'm excited to go back in the off season and look study myself and see like there's some stuff that we've been able to improve in season but i probably have some blind spots because i'm a human being and you know, we can't say he's always a first-year play caller and then just kick him to the curb and be like, well, he can't do it. Like, no, people get better with experience, and that's how it works. So there is, I think, some merit to an argument that says, hey, he put in the time in this lost season. Let's now reap the rewards of his work. I just think that for everyone, if I'm Josh Harris and this organization, 100% clean start is what I want. Literally everyone coach-wise on the football side is probably out.
1: Business side, too, baby. Don't uh, don't overlook that. It's uh, it's going to be a busy January around here. Uh, yeah, that might start in December, but we'll see. Exactly. All right, Craig Hoffman, Take Commands, the podcast, uh, the Team 980, 4-7 every day. Appreciate you uh, dropping by for a bit, and I look forward to returning the favor Monday night on your radio program. I look forward to that as well. Thank you, sir, and have a great rest of your week. Awesome, you too. There he goes. We're back with more after this, 910 The Fan, now 1051 FM. All right, four minutes here till my clock expires. We'll hand this off to AWOD Radio. You've been listening to MP on the mic. If you missed anything in today's program, make sure to check out the free Odyssey app with the rewind button, uh, available on the App Store on Google Play. Had a lot of fun today, MP on the mic, here on 910 The Fan 105.1 FM. Uh, if you missed Hotel Pen Trivia at 1045, we were talking in the first hour uh, about Tom Brady and his comments at the NFL has become mediocre. Uh, which one sounds like an old man yelling "Get off my lawn"? Except he's not an old man. He won a Super Bowl like three years ago. He's actually a part of the NFL, very, very recently. So, so it doesn't resonate in that regard. And two, he used to play in the biggest games every week. All he saw were the biggest games, the, the you know the best broadcasts, all that every week. He just experiencing what the rest of us experience, which is Commanders Dolphins with the CBSC team at one o'clock on Sunday. He's he's getting exposed. To a lot more of that, uh, but we did trivia at 10:45. The question was: uh, Aside from Tom Brady, uh, name the other three players who have beaten all 32 NFL teams. So Tom Brady, of course, made the move to Tampa, beat the Patriots and that big return game. There has a win against all 32 NFL teams. So we gave the answer: uh, Brett Favre, uh, who of course switched to the Jets and then the Vikings, got a chance to beat the Packers. There uh, has beaten all 32 teams. Drew Brees. Who did it earlier in his career, uh, with the uh, w- before he moved into the New Orleans Saints to finish his career uh, in in a uh, trade that uh, certainly changed the trajectory of a lot of different franchises there, and then Peyton Manning, of course, who uh, went to Denver, came back, beat the Colts, had had several uh, notable games against them down the stretch, but it's uh, it's equally fascinating to look at who's behind those four because uh, Russell Wilson had a chance to do it. He played the Seahawks last year, uh, didn't win, you remember, that opener with the Broncos against the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. So he'll have to wait a few years to get his next chance, but he's in line to get the job done. Aaron Rodgers, of course, one team away, the Packers. Uh, the Jets could play the Packers next year, we will definitely play them in one of the next two years. I don't know if he's hanging around that long. You know they. No, no better way to get attention than by hanging around, though, in New York. So uh, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Uh, Aaron Rodgers at 31. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, who's not going to play anymore, uh, 31 with the Steelers, just never switched teams. Alex Smith ended up at 31, uh, couldn't beat the Niners with the Chiefs. Uh, Kerry Collins in the 31 club. Interestingly, his one is the Dolphins, who he never played for. He's just 0-5 against them in his career. Uh, and our guy Kirk Cousins... Sitting on 30. Uh, He needs the Chiefs, wins over the Chiefs and the Bengals. uh, Unless he moves to the AFC this offseason, feels like that one might stay out of reach for him. So a fun trivia question. Uh, Lots of fun talking about the NFL, where it's at. We heard from Alex Smith uh, during that earlier segment as well. Thanks to our guest today, Craig Hoffman, dropping by uh, chatting commanders with us. We had a chat with Kevin Sheehan. You just heard that. Uh, Love his show up there in D.C. on the Team 980. Uh, Of course, VCU basketball coach Ryan Odom and Mike Sveditz. Big show, AWOD Radio up next. I'm excited to get the laptop update from AWOD. We've all been uh, breathlessly following this saga. I set a new line with him by text last night. Minus 110, AWOD's computer's coming back from Orlando. We'll hear where we're at, see if we need to adjust the line again Tomorrow, uh, I will be back tomorrow uh, for the Thursday program. It's the Live from Ashburn show. Looking forward to chatting with you then. Until then, we'll sign off. This is 910 The Fan, now 1051 FM.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.